And welcome to Dollars and Making Sense. And this week we have at the microphone Phil Osborne from Philborne Consulting. Phil is also a compliance expert within Dirigir Advisory, which I'm also a partner of. And I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Now, this week, I think it's absolutely vital that we start talking a little bit more about superannuation. There has been some radical moves uh, in the last uh, few weeks and months uh, around performance testing and the viability of funds. And in recent history, you may or may not have seen, but actually 13 super funds have been given notice. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, Phil, you've actually caught up on a fair bit of this, your future, your super, why FYS, because we love acronyms in this industry, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> the the talking about the My Super products and trustee-directed products, there's been some real changes there, haven't there? Yeah, look, they, they certainly have. And it's interesting to note that they've started doing it with those, as you called them, My Super products. But essentially, the, the change is that the government's saying, right, we're going to set a benchmark in terms of fees and performance that are the fees that are charged and the performance that the funds actually get. And if you don't meet those benchmarks or you're more than 0.5% of or 0.5 of 1% away from those benchmarks, we're actually going to call you out. We're actually going to say that you have failed uh, in this particular year and uh, you've now got a year to get your act together because if you... Uh, if you, if you fail in this one year, then you've got to write to your members and tell them that, that that's happened. But if you do it two years in a row, then you have to stop taking new people coming into your fund until you get your act together. So that, that's, that's a pretty big move, isn't it? Government, yeah. that's oh, a, absolutely. That's yeah, a big definitely. move. When you're saying to somebody, you have to shut your doors to new clients, that's, that's big stuff, isn't it? It is, yeah. Look, it's you can understand that the government... I mean, over the last really 15 years or so, there's been a huge focus on the financial services industry and doing right by people and that sort of thing. And that's where we've seen a lot of measures come in. But this is the first time they're actually looking at it and saying, OK, we're actually going to look at these products that are being recommended and we're going to tell you whether or not we think you're doing good enough. And and I guess when you think about, you know, you're quietly, a lot of people don't think about super. And even before uh, you and Philippa came and joined me at Dollars and Making Sense, I talked about this a lot with Karen and and, uh, and Lisa. Uh, and super is a big part of our retirement. And, you know, we look back and think about how Paul Keating brought this in back in the 90s. You know, we're talking about an industry that is worth close to three trillion dollars now and i think it's something that we can be rightly proud of in this nation that we are ensconced in a system that has saving for one's retirement now in law and it's real and we're now getting to that tipping point where there are more people with balances that mean they can retire without having to rely on a government pension but you know i'd also say phil and you and i have seen this uh, in the industry it's also been a sector that has been rife for, for rape and pillage, wouldn't you say? 
Look, to a certain extent, absolutely. It's anywhere that there's money in that sort of regard, it's uh, an opportunity for people to try and get it into certain sectors. And I suppose that's where they look at the whole conflict of interest thing in terms of, right, well, why are you recommending that? Is it really in the client's best interest that they do that? Or is it really just about you wanting to build up assets under your own platform and that sort of thing? So, yeah, look, it's, there's certainly the opportunity for uh, that conflict to actually take place. Now, one of the things I think it's absolutely worth mentioning as well is that this Your Future, uh, Your Super performance testing is something that's been managed by APRA rather than the ATO. Now, why does that matter? Is because I actually talk to a lot of people on this show uh, around self-managed super funds. So for those of you that are out there today that run your own super fund, and I'm one of them, I think, Phil, you have your own SMSF too, don't you? I do indeed, yes. Okay. It's important to note for all of you SMSF trustees out there, this does not apply to you. Okay. It's really important because SMSFs are not managed and run by APRA. They're actually run by ATO, and a lot of people don't realise that. It's actually the tax office that runs and regulates the self-managed super fund industry. So let's continue on. One of the things that I find really, uh, again, it's staggering when you think about it's been primarily a right-wing government that's brought this in, but we're talking about a company, a super fund now being sent a notice that says, your superannuation product has performed poorly, poorly, you should consider moving your money into a different fund. Now, if you had to be forced to send that to your clients, wow, that's a big move, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's huge. And while you sort of look at it and say, right, we sort of see where you're coming from, you want to provide an incentive to perform better and do better for the members, um, that's got huge ramifications in terms of the particular fund and what it's actually doing itself. If that leads to people saying, oh, gee, I got this letter and it looks like they haven't done very good, I'm out of here. All of a sudden, you've got the fund outflow, which then depresses the assets even further and just makes it even harder for a group that might be actually, they mightn't have missed the benchmark by much and that might just be a couple of uh, decisions in terms of the uh, tilt that they've got with their uh, investment strategy that's actually put them in that place. And now they're being penalised for it and basically having to write to people and say, yeah, we uh, we didn't do so good, so um, this is where we're at. It's it, it's it's very draconian. I've used one of my favourite terms. I think uh, I'm using it in the well, context, yeah. <laughs> I, I think in doing the research for today's show, in my readings, there's a mixed train of thought. There's a lot of people that are out there saying this is long overdue and, and certainly – when I think about industry funds versus privately run funds, there's a certain amount of criticism out there that some is valid, some's a little bit of hyperbole. But one of the aspects of this Your your Future, Your Super legislation that's coming out, and we're going to talk about it during the show, There, when you enact any kind of legislation, uh, and Phil, you may or may not be aware, I did my master's degree back in the 90s, but I did it in public policy. It's one of those strange ones. It was an MBA, but mm-hmm. I actually started government. And the one thing that you learn when you start uh, researching legislation is no matter how well legislation is written, there is always unintended consequences. And I think this is yet another one of those kind of things where if you think about the legislation in 
at its very high level, you think this is good stuff. This is, you know, there's a good intent there. They're trying to make sure that people, you know, perform on behalf of their clients. But it also has some unintended consequences, which we're going to talk about today. Now, when we, as Paul Keating always used to say, the devil is in the detail. So let's look at a little bit of this detail. So we've got now in this latest review, 13 big name funds that actually didn't pass muster. Now, that's quite a bit, isn't it? Look, it's a lot from uh, the numbers that are actually there. It's a very large percentage, but uh, it's the old thing. You set a benchmark, you didn't achieve the benchmark, so that's the consequence, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about statistics, you know, lies, damn lies and statistics. But the thing that, you know, having raised three kids and watching them go through high school, the thing that when you sent benchmarks or you sent a pass and a fail rate, Modern society, and we are geared towards this, Phil, is that if you were to say to somebody, okay, we're going to set a test, if everybody passed the test, what's your natural reaction to the veracity of the test? Yeah, that it's been way too easy and there should be people not getting through it, yeah. Exactly, and that's my point, is because when we look at certainly the way the stock market has performed the last you know three to five years, it's been stellar. It's had its ups and downs, but if you were uh, investing in a certain way, pretty well most super funds have been delivering uh, above average yields, yet we find, and when we look at this list of 13 big name funds that failed to meet the performance test. Sometimes I wonder when you are setting benchmarks, are we setting failure up to happen no matter what? I mean, do you believe that's a possibility? Yeah, look, it, it certainly is. There's there's no doubt there. And this, this is the whole thing when you look at setting these benchmarks and pass rates and fail rates. Ideally, if there's, if it's a, if you, if, as you said, you sit an exam, if the questions are fair and they're valid related to the particular subject, uh, it should be a possibility that everybody could pass. So that's, and it then falls on the person that if they haven't done the study and they don't, haven't put in the work, then that's why it would be the case. I think the thing in looking at some of these is some of these funds that actually have failed, yeah, they missed out on the benchmark, but they've had returns of around about 7%. Mm, and but because exactly particular yeah and so you've got to look at that and say well gee um there's a lot of a lot of places out there aren't returning that so what what's the deal why have these funds actually failed and unfortunately people don't look at that and if people are going to be written to and told um yeah look we need to let you know that uh, we um one of the funds that uh, didn't meet the performance benchmark People probably are thinking human nature, they're not going to turn around and say, oh, well, you did pretty well, let's keep it all going. There's going to be a bit of an uproar and a bit of outrage. And as we said, that may lead to even bigger problems for the group because of fund outflows. Okay, and let's go to a station break. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm here at the microphone with Phil Osborne from Philborn Consulting. We'll be, we'll be back with you shortly. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. And today I have Phil Osborne from Philborn Consulting. And we are talking about your future, your super, and the super performance testing that's now legislated 
and we have 13 funds that have been called out. Now, one of the things we were talking about before we went to our station break was these benchmarks and parameters. So let's talk a little bit about those, those specifics. We're talking about an eight-year period, though, that they've been evaluated over, haven't they? Yeah, it's it's actually seven years this year. It'll be an eight-year period next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, it's just on what they call my super products. And that's where the eight years will come in next year when they actually bring the wider market of superannuation products into the mix as well. So that doesn't include a lot of the private super funds, which I think was uh, the, uh, certainly drew a lot of criticism from the industry super uh, sector, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And I, I kind of wonder when you look at the treasurer and say, listen, why are you targeting industry funds, which are predominantly union run, whereas the private sector seems to get off scot-free? And, and that's maybe for another time. I don't necessarily want to get into that today, but <laughs> it's certainly something that certainly raised my hackles a little bit, because when we talk about performance, there's a lot of discussion around industry versus private. But let's move on. When we talk about these 13 big name funds, we're not talking about peanuts here. We're talking about the first annual performance test revealed that $56.2 billion invested is underperforming. And we're talking about almost 1.1 million accounts. Wow. And there's some big names in there, I've got to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So AMG, MySuper, ComBank, Supergroup, Energy Industries, Superannuation Scheme. I think there's Australian Catholic Super. I mean, this is nothing. I'm not besmirching people, ladies and gentlemen. This is public record. You can go to the internet. You can Google search this. It's not something that's a a secret by any stretch. But I, I guess one of the problems that I have with this benchmarking process that we were talking about just before we went to the break, Phil, is that... We have both had a lot of exposure to financial planning. I'm an ex-financial planner. You are still uh, an FP today. And that when one assumes a certain rate of return, we're not taking into consideration that the client's interest may not necessarily be served. Now, what am I talking about? What I'm talking about is that some of these super funds may, for example, have a lot of clients that are close to or already just about to go into pension phase. Now, I'm 61 years old. I don't have a lot of comfort with a super fund that's earning 15 to 20% return because that means they're doing stuff out there that's risky. If somebody's returning 7%, guess what? I'm going to be happy with that because that gives me a sense of stability, of calm, that we're getting a reasonable rate of return, that we're not being risky. So do you think that this whole legislation is sort of totally forgotten about this? Yeah, look, I think it's one thing that it's nice to to focus about investment and the, the thing you're always going to focus on is return. There's no doubt about that. But ultimately, as any financial planner will tell you, it's return is all about risk. And if you're going to get those higher returns, then you're going to be taking on an additional amount of risk. Uh, That's why we see term deposits down at the other end of the scale, because they've got the government guarantee if it's under the 250,000. And you basically, you invest in that type of an asset because you're going to get a little bit of income return, but you know that you're going to get your money back, provided the bank stays stable. But that's why the capital guarantees there, of course. But that's that's the whole idea is that you're you're going to get that guarantee behind it so there's not a risk with it to warrant providing you an incentive with a higher return to invest in it. So that's the big thing. And you've hit the nail on the head. People that are getting close to retirement, people who are in retirement, they 
they might actually choose to opt for a lower return, but more surety on their capital, and that helps them sleep at night a bit better. Friend of yours and uh, mine, uh, Peter Johnson, he's very much uh, very uh, of the um, mindset to say it's not about the return on your capital, it's about the return of your capital. Yeah. And, yeah, again, that's where people <laughs> in that, um, if they're relying on their investments, that's what helps them sleep at night for sure. And I guess just so that you know, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Johnson is the president of the Australian Independent Organisation of Financial Professionals. That's right, isn't it, Phil? Close. It's the Association of ah, Independently so Owned Financial <laughs> Professionals. These little acronyms, they get me every oh, time. Oh, no, yeah. And, 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 and it, it, bears, it bears noting that, you know, the top 10 performers were also listed with the 13 that got sort of failed. And we're talking about Big names, Australian Super, Host Plus. These are, are common, everyday names that you see lots of advertising. They sponsor football teams, all that kind of stuff. But if you go to their website, and it's no secret, they will have the returns for each of their, their funds there. But they have three fairly raw sort of groupings of investors. So you have a conservative portfolio, you have a balanced portfolio and you have a growth portfolio and you know they're fairly self-explanatory but uh, the conservative one is not going to return anywhere near as much as balanced and it's not going to return as much as growth. So my question back to the legislators yet comes again. If you've got a conservatively positioned super fund, that doesn't mean it's bad though, does it? Yeah, I suppose that's where when they've put these benchmarks together, they're actually using various indexes or indices, I suppose is the correct uh, English there, that are actually saying, okay, look, this is a particular market index that's showing how performance has been in general in that particular sphere, and they try to equate against it. And, and again, that's fine. They're, put, they're giving some sort of basis rather than you've got somebody in a room in Canberra saying, oh, I reckon they should be getting 7.5%. That's when it'll be really scary. So at least they've gone to that. But again, it comes down to if you've got an investment fund manager, they are going to try and their job is to do better than what the market is doing. That's how they get people interested. It's how they get business through the door. Not all of those things are always going to pay off. Now, when you think about these funds, they're not just saying, oh, yeah, look, we like XYZ company, so we're going to put all our money in that. That doesn't happen. There's multiple. In that there are tens of in different companies that these investments get spread across so that if one doesn't do so well, hopefully others will actually pick up the slack and cover it off. But mm -hmm. the idea is they will take a couple of uh, – I think the word that they use is tilt, to say, right, we, this one's a little bit of a, um, uh, it's got some really good potential. We think it's going to do well, but you never know because we're just going to look at this and think we're just going to put a little bit of money into this one to help boost the actual in, um, investment along. Now, no one's got a crystal ball. Nobody guarantees these things. And unfortunately, sometimes they don't perform to the level that they're expected to. And that one investment could be the difference between whether or not they meet this 
benchmark or not. It doesn't mean to say that your fund has performed badly. It just means to say it hasn't quite met this benchmark. As we said, a lot of these funds that are actually being put onto this underperformance list have delivered around about 7%. So again, you do need to ask the question, well, gee, what was the benchmark in that particular instance? And, and it wor- it's worth saying in, in reading, you know, the, the, the base articles that we've uh, using to, you know, for today's research for the show, the super funds hit back saying they aren't duds. So the performance assessment covers this eight-year period for long-term returns. Don't blame one bad year for underperformance. The super fund industry group, the Association of Super Funds Australia, ASFA, ASFA, yeah, another acronym, <laughs> said that the regulators' performance tests are flawed because some of those called out were good products that had delivered excellent returns. And the mm. chief executive, Martin Fay, actually goes on to say, look, you know, this isn't fair simply because a product falls by half a percent below the medium to be labelled failing. The reality is, and this is his quote, the reality is even the funds in this test that are underperforming are doubling the money of their members every 10 years. They're generating 7 to 7.5, which is what we've been saying. Now, I think one of the focus, and I think it's a good focus because this applies now across the industry, that uh, this this performance and benchmarking has really highlighted is there's been a real focus on fees. Now, fees are a big one because, uh, Phil, I'll throw back, you probably, I'm thinking you probably know this number, but maybe illuminate the uh, the audience. How much a year in fees do you think is, is slugged in the super in the super fund industry? Oh, look, I'd only be guessing, I've got to be honest, I reckon it's around about a billion. Uh, no, it's actually $30, $30 billion yes. uh, in fees are levied every year, remembering that we're talking close to $3 trillion yeah, now. that's true. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. so it represents roughly uh, about 1% of the, the funds under management. And remember, this country is now building a heck of a, a war chest mm-hmm. of retirement funds. And again, you see Canadian uh, 401k equivalents that are doing out there and doing great things. And, you know, the long-term benefit, I think we can discuss and argue about for, for years going forward. But me, I'm a huge proponent of being able to fund one's own uh, retirement. But we, we're talking about then, you know, whether these benchmarks are fair or not. And uh, again, another thing that's been raised is around ethical investing. Now, to me, ethical investing, they, they, they have an <laughs> another uh, TLA, ESG. So mm-hmm. they talk about it. So if you ever see, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever see the term ESG investing, what that refers to is environmental social governance. So these are considerations where people look at a company and say, we're going to apply ESG principles. Now, ESG principles, for example, governance is a big one for me. People ask me, Ray, why don't you invest in Amazon? The reason I personally wouldn't invest in Amazon, and by the way, I don't buy from Amazon, it's a very personal thing. I don't like Jeff Bezos and I don't like the way he treats his workers. Now, I have no doubt if there's a super fund out there that has bought Amazon stock over the last 10, 20 years, they're doing great. That stock is doing fabulously well. But from a, an ethical perspective, I've made a conscious choice as a consumer and as an investor not to buy from them or invest in them. Yet, 
The difficulty we've got now is some funds that don't invest in high-performing stocks on ethical grounds could get punished under this regime. Phil, what are your thoughts about that around ESG? Oh, look, I agree. It's been a huge a huge turnabout of people considering where their money actually does go to when they invest. Again, you think back five, ten years ago, and you put money into super, and you never actually thought about where the money actually was invested. But a lot of people are voting with their feet these days and saying, yeah, look, if I'm going to put money into super, I want to make sure that it's going to go towards these ethical causes and to make sure that the companies invested in are showing good governance and uh, social responsibility. So it's where you actually see a lot of the industry funds where five years ago they might have had an ethical fund. All of them have got one now. So you can actually choose to say, yeah, that's the fund I want to have my money going to to invest for the future. So it's a, it's a huge issue for sure. And and it's not just labour practices, for example. There are people, the, the ESG mandate comes out because there are people out there saying, listen, I don't want to invest in coal. I don't want to invest in tobacco. I don't mm-hmm. want to invest in you know companies that go out and environmentally damage the planet. And so mm-hmm. the wonderful thing about capital is that the way capital gets moved around can have major- a huge and major impact on social consciences and, and drives because at the end of the day, when people say, you know, if you want stuff to happen, follow the money. And, mm. you know, I, I, I've got a daughter that contributes quite a lot of her pay to the World Wildlife uh, Foundation. I was staggered because I was helping her do her, her uh, taxes just recently. And I looked and went, wow, you give that much money out of your, your pay. And she has dad, it's important. And so it really brings into stark relief that this is important and people are thinking about it. But when you then bring it back into the context and the framework of this legislation, is the legislation being fair? So we'll hold that thought for the moment. It's time for another station announcement. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. Uh, I'm here today with Phil Osborne from Philborne Consulting. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and I'm here today with Phil Osborne from Philborne Consulting. And we are talking today about superannuation and your future, your super, which is recent legislation that has actually benchmarked and put out for everybody to look and see 13 funds that underperformed and have been given notice. Now, in previous sessions, we've been talking about, is this fair, is this not fair? What I'd like to do in this last session, Phil, is maybe go through with some of the the basics of what we should be doing around super. And in previous shows that I've had uh, Karen and Lisa on in the last couple of years, I've focused on this a lot. And having three adult children who all have their own super now, the one thing that really it just floors me, and they just look at me and go, oh, Dad. But, I mean, for mine, checking annual statements. So when somebody gets their annual statement from their super fund, Phil, what should they be looking for? Oh, look, the first thing is um, see uh, how much money you've made in the year just to sort oh, of yes. yourself on yeah. a job well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... Look, so that's certainly one thing. You want to see where your money's going to and how you're progressing towards your retirement goals and that sort of thing. So absolutely, that's the very first thing to look at there. If you don't seem to be 
getting much back. Have a look at the fees that are being charged in uh, what's coming out of it, uh, because ultimately it's about adding value. But you also need to remember the fact that these funds don't run themselves. Um, they do pay people to administer the fund for you. They do pay people um, to help select the different uh, investment options that are there. If they don't actually do it internally, uh, they might employ an asset consultant to actually come in and give them recommendations in that sort of regard. So that's that's the sort of thing to remember is that, that nothing is free. And if you're looking to say, oh, I want the cheapest super fund out there, that's great. But at the end of the day, you get what you pay for. So it's not going to have necessarily the range of investment allocation options that you might want to have in that sort of respect. So okay. that, that would certainly be the case, yeah. So, okay, that's a really good point you just mentioned. So allocation. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what's the next thing they need to be looking at as well as, you know, has it made money? Yeah, look, it's one of the things that's really important for all investors to understand is their tolerance for risk. And ultimately, there are some people that can absolutely put up with the fact that their share portfolio might dip, flow, grow magnificently, dive the next day because they're focused on the future and they understand that over the long term, they should get better results in that sort of regard. Um, you've then got other people that they'd actually be freaked out by that sort of way of going about things and they'd actually prefer a more softly, softly, gently, gently approach and, and they understand that they need to trade off. They're not going to get the big, huge returns uh, that some people might get because they actually want that little bit less volatility so they can actually sleep at night. It, it, it sounds stupid, but uh, the old cowboy Roy Rogers was very big on that kind of thing. He'd rather sleep at night and get 3% than be up all night and get 5% uh, as one of his famous quotes in that sort of regard. So it's about understanding where you sit and what the amount of risk you're prepared to take. The other thing you've got to remember is that different years the market has different things happening. And the person, if, if you have a year where there's been a big downturn in the market, in the share market, the person who's taken that softly, softly approach and hasn't had all of that exposure in the share market, they're actually going to have a better return that year uh, than the person who has taken that, uh, that extra risk because they're actually suffering from that risk in that year. But again, that's they understand that and they move forward. Now, if you're in one of those options where it freaks you out that you're going to be getting all of these ups and downs, then, okay, have a think about it. Let's an option you should be. And most super funds these days, it's not a case of just picking one. You can actually blend a couple if you want. So if you want to have an option that's got a focus on Australian shares, but let's just limit that to, say, 20% of the portfolio, and we do go with a balanced option, but we've got that extra bit there just to take a little bit further if we want to. You can do that. So check out what's available to you in the fund and work out what's appropriate for you and what you're prepared to put up with by way of variability of returns towards what you might actually get. Now, again, fascinatingly, I'm gobsmacked by how many people don't know the answer to this question, but the annual statement tells them uh, there are two types of insurance that super funds actually sell, aren't there? I don't know the answer to that question. No, I'm only kidding. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, look, yeah, absolutely. Well, technically there's three. 
but it depends on the super fund as to whether or not they want to offer it. And yep, first one's life insurance. The next is total and permanent disability insurance. They are both lump sum insurances. And the third one that can be offered by a super fund is actually a salary continuance or what a lot of us know as income protection insurance. Income protection, yeah. So I guess one of the big things, and I, I really railed against this with a lot, including the industry funds as well, where they automatically default selected life insurance for people under 30 years old that were single. And that infuriates me because they were taking three, $400 million a year in life insurance premiums for mine for people that just didn't need it. Yeah, look, and again, this was one of the uh, the things that was brought in by the government where they said, okay, if somebody is, a, is a, of a younger age, they don't just give it automatically, they have to opt into it. So they actually, when they're presented with the forms to join the super fund, um, instead of saying you will be given a default amount of cover, which some people later on are required to do, younger people are actually able to opt out and say, no, I don't want the insurance, thank you very much. But ultimately, everybody's got the opportunity to opt out. Everybody's got the opportunity opportunity to uh, ask if they can have some more if they want it, because it may be important to them to make sure that their debts are covered in the event of their death and that type of thing. But again, this relies on the person actually understanding their own position and what actually is the right thing for them. And again, for mine, just gives a really good reason to say, look, go and see somebody to actually help you through that. Go and talk to yeah. somebody. Talk to somebody. Talk yeah. to somebody. But I, I, I what also staggers me in the reading that we've done for this show, there are an estimated 10 million duplicate accounts, which means people are paying extra fees, extra insurance, and ultimately that erodes your your lifetime retirement balance. So, Phil, it's pretty easy to consolidate super these days, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is. I, I suppose I'm of the view that the fees aren't necessarily duplicated because you're going to be charged them whether all in the one or not. If you're getting charged half a percent on four different funds, it doesn't equal 2% you're being charged. It's half a percent on all of them. If you put them all in, it's still oh, half a percent. Fair point. That sort that's, of a fair, that's a fair point. That's a fair but point. But what they actually don't actually then do is because they'll be focused on the one that they're in at the moment because that's the one they'll be getting the regular statements from and from their employer saying this is where your money's going to. But they lose sight of the other ones that are there. They may not be in a good investment option for them. They may have, upon exiting work, been put into a default fund of some sort or put into a, uh, a fund that's less likely to have good returns because they're more concerned about the preservation because the employer thinks, oh, well, I don't want to put them in something risky in case they lose a lot. Let's put them in something that isn't that risky. And as a result, they don't get the return. So in terms of rather than spreading your focus across four different areas, get it all into the one place so you can actually do something with it. Remember, it's uh, I'll go back to the old the old ad. It's your money, Ralph. So you get to choose what you want to do. That's that's the deal. Make sure you're making the best decision for you and your super. And I I, I just guess I can't reiterate this enough to all of you out there in this land. You only get one of these once a year. So please read it, put it away, file it. And, and I guess for a lot of young people, look, my retirement's 30, 40 years away. I don't want to think about it right now. And they've only been jolted into thinking about their super, certainly during the pandemic, because this 
sorry I'm being very personal here, but this reprobate government uh, gave them the opportunity to to draw down $10,000 for two years each. Uh, I think it was a reprehensible thing to do. So they've all of a sudden raided their super, and I'll talk, I'll rave about that any other time. But it's a simple thing to do is to check your annual statement and make sure, and also make sure your employer is actually paying the super as well. And a big thing happened on the 1st of July this year with regards to super. Phil, quick quiz. Do you remember what it is? Um, I'm not sure because there's a lot that happened on the 1st of July. It's true. I'm trying to read, <laughs> you, you're trying to read my mind, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the hint. Superannuation guarantees went from nine and a half percent to ten yes. to ten percent. So yep. now it's a flat ten percent. They're supposed to go up to twelve, but this government's delayed that because they reckon small business can't afford it. But what's also interesting is that the same government has said to small business from first of July next year, every dollar you pay will now be liable for super, which has been a huge benefit for casual workers and primarily women. So that one really floored me. I didn't believe it came from a Liberal government, but there you go. It did happen. So there's a lot of stuff happening with super, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And this is the one area that you know, you can guarantee every year in the federal budget, there will be something about superannuation. There will be some change, some adjustment. Um, Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's little, but it's worth listening to because there may be something that comes into play that could affect you. For people who are coming up to retirement, the big thing that was in the last one was they're talking about from 1 July next year, after age 65, you can still keep making contributions to mm. super that are the, your after-tax contributions where beforehand you met, had to meet what was called a work test. A to be work able to test, that. yes. That's, yeah, yep. that's not required anymore. So for people who want to be making contributions because they uh, come into money from some reason or otherwise, then, yeah, they can do it. It's... it's uh, Again, it's that particular group, not so much for the younger people, but always watch this space come budget night as far as super is concerned, for sure. So I want to finish today's discussion around, uh, I guess, one of the downsides of this uh, Your Super, your, uh, your Future, Your Super reforms. And a lot of the criticism that comes from the fund managers themselves is that setting these kind of benchmarks is going to set up what's referred to as herd mentality. Uh, Phil, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, look, absolutely. It's And look, I couldn't agree with the fund managers more, to be perfectly honest. Look, the herd mentality aspect is saying, oh, well, this is what the fund has to get. And it, it just makes everybody focus on returns rather than is the risk that there's been, is it commensurate to the risk that's been taken? Is it my particular risk profile? Is it appropriate? And it just brings that whole focus to one particular area for Australians to actually look at rather than trying to educate them and say, hey, get yourself into the, the option that suits you the best. Yeah, and I'm going to quote from this article that the the Australian Super Financial Association notes the results were potentially confusing because some products with a higher average returns over 7% failed, whilst others with different asset allocations that also returned 7% had passed. And I'll quote this. This is the tyranny of benchmarks. They fail to take account of risk, life cycle, 
or environmental, social and governance, ESG, screening considerations, and instead they preference hugging the index. Now, I've talked a lot about index investing, and just to do a little uh, quick refresher, ladies and gents, index investing is sometimes referred to as trend investing. So it's really going with the herd. So you can go to the market today and you can buy an exchange-traded fund that simply follows the All Ordinaries Index. So you put your 100 bucks in, or thousand or however much you want and it will then track the performance of the all ordinaries index it's a basket of stocks and so that's really that's the i guess the very definition of herd so if the market goes up you go up if the market goes down you go down and this is the big thing that uh, both phil and i are talking about now is that this testing and benchmarking will lead to lots more ordinary lot lot more ordinary and not everybody's one size fit all are they phil no absolutely and and that's the thing it won't be they'll cease to be seen the incentive to actually try and get some outperformance and there won't be the incentive to invest according to your profile again you'll you'll go looking for the fund that the fund that has performed the best and that that's always been a real issue. I mean, in terms of the financial advice industry, ever since I've come into the industry, we've been told you can't go out there and uh, talk to a person or sell a particular investment based on the returns. Because while it might do really well this year, next year, it may not. It's, as I said before, we don't have a crystal ball to be able to do that. And it would appear that this is what the government's actually trying to do by putting this into place and saying, oh, well, we now have these benchmarks that have to be met. But let's understand by saying, oh, well, these people have met the benchmark and these haven't, we're promoting based on the performance of the particular fund. So, yeah, the um, the super council are absolutely right in what they're saying. It's certainly something to uh, be wary of and don't be part of the herd. Think about your own situation, what it is that you want to achieve and work out how it's best to actually do that. I guess it's an opinion I'd like to, to, to quiz you about, Phil. Do you think that the more and more benchmarking occurs in the, in the big industry sector, because the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting squeezed out, do you think this is going to potentially uh, spurt a growth in self-managed super funds? Um, no, actually, I don't. Um, I think it's probably more likely to make the big get bigger and squeeze the small out. Because there are people, they don't want to have to worry about that. They just want to be able to have the money deducted from their account and whatever my employer employer, employer has chosen, that's what the money will actually go to. I think if people are looking to do their own thing is where your self-managed super fund will come in. I don't think this will be an incentive to say, oh, my fund didn't do so well. I reckon I can do better and I'll have my own super fund because you've got the other side of this legislation where you say, oh, well, I don't think my fund's done, my fund hasn't done that well, which is the one that did do well. So that's that's where I think that this is actually going with everything at the moment, yeah. So I guess to round out and finish off our discussion today, one of the things that's a real danger when people are shopping for a super fund is to simply look at yield. You know, that raw number, this guy's doing 10, that one's doing 12, I'm going to pick the 12. There's a certain danger to that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, for sure. 
Mm. So, uh, again, it's reading the devil in the detail. You need to mm. look and do a little bit of research, find out what they're investing in, who they're investing with, and what are the aims and, and goals of that particular super fund. I, I uh, did, The thing that, again, still quizzes me, there's a lot of advertising being done by a, a lot of super firms. And uh, although we're on community radio, I don't normally mention brands, but there are, uh, you know, the, the the cupped hands, which is obviously the thing for industry super. But when I look at the different marketing messages there, there's not a lot of differentiation or am I not seeing something, Phil? Do you agree with that? Yeah, look, absolutely. And look, they have to be very careful. They can't go in and say, we've got these returns and we've done this. And they can, you've seen certainly a couple that have said, oh, we came number one in this rating system. But again, it's another benchmark aspect as well. But ultimately, it's marketing. People are susceptible to it. And that's how they're going to go about doing things. If it, if it was me putting it out there, I, I think the thing you've got to do before you read your statement or before you make an analysis of whether your fund's any good or not is please understand what it is that you are looking for. Um, are you looking for a fund that's actually going to perform the and uh, blow the lights out and you, you know every couple of every every once in every five or six years it's going to have a bit of a downturn, but ultimately you're prepared to put up for that. You can then determine whether or not your fund is appropriate for what it is you're looking for. If you are that more conservative person that doesn't want to shoot the lights out, but you just want good, solid returns over time and not that much variation, okay, that's what you've got to be prepared for and understand that if your fund is delivering those sort of mid-level returns, it might be the suitable one for you even though there's other people saying, oh, but this other one's done better. It's about what's what's it actually done for you? Is it appropriate for you and what you're wanting to achieve and what you are willing to tolerate? Okay. And I think that's a great way to finish off today. It's a great message, Phil. Thanks so kindly for your time today with me on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. It's been great to have you along this fabulous discussion around super. It's just one of those things that I'm passionate about, and I guess you can hear that in my voice. I think we need to talk about it a lot more, and I guess we will be covering off all the different aspects around super because it's such a big industry and it is important to our long-term retirement and all those kind of good goals. So, Phil, thank you so kindly for joining me at the microphone today. No worries. Good to be here. Thanks, Ray. And, ladies and gentlemen, until uh, next week, thanks for listening. All the best and goodbye.